All right. I am super excited. I have uh, Devin Thorpe on the show today. Devin and I uh, did an interview a while back. Um, Devin calls himself a champion for social good. He has an extraordinary uh, podcast where he has produced over 1,200 interviews, uh, including uh, some uh, high-profile interviews uh, with uh, Bill Gates. And as I said, he is a champion for good. But the reason I brought him on the show today, and the thing that's got me excited is that Devin Thorpe is now a candidate for Congress, specifically for the uh, uh, Utah's third congressional district. So the important thing about politics, in my opinion, is getting good people there. And I happen to believe that Devin Thorpe is one of those good people. So I'm excited to bring him back on the show and talk about what he is doing and why he is doing this. Devin Thorpe, welcome back. Golly, thank you so much. It's an honor to be back, Bert. Thank you for having me. It's great, uh, great to reconnect. You bet, you bet. So here you are. You, you are a contributor for um, Forbes. Uh, like I said, you have a successful podcast. Uh, and so talk about this. What inspired you to run for Congress? Well, you know, it's it's interesting. I, I for the last nearly a decade, I've been, you know, working at this thing I call being a champion of social good. I've been writing about and speaking about and talking on my show about doing good. And I, I have focused on three main areas, uh, reversing climate change, improving global health and eradicating extreme poverty. And uh after doing that for nearly a decade, you know, last year, a year ago, I had uh, Bill Gates on the show. You mentioned that very graciously, and that was a big deal for me. Honest and true, that was a big deal. I, I'm not going to pretend that I wasn't, you know, super jazzed about that. I was. And uh, but after that experience, one of the interesting things was I realized I didn't feel like I had changed the world enough. I hadn't really. I didn't really feel like I'd moved the needle enough. And so I began really this uh, long period of introspection. I began looking for jobs, mostly with nonprofits, talking about, you know, are there opportunities here for me to help, you know, change the world? And uh, in January, I finally began looking at uh, at politics as a way for me to do the good and have the impact I was looking for. And, you know, the calendar kind of imposes a deadline on you. And so in February, I had to make the decision. In March, I announced, and here we are. Yeah, I think that's fantastic. I mean, first of all, politics is probably the fastest way to promote social change, to bring about, bring about, you know, sweeping change. Uh, we've seen it, uh, again, citizens can do their part, but when you look at, when you look at our history, the biggest changes have come from politics. And sometimes it was an individual who, who had the, you know, the strength and the courage to put out a new bill to, 
to to help with equality, you know, back in the civil rights. And then there was also citizens uh, who put on who were able to gather enough uh, eyeballs, enough voters to put on to, to create enough pressure so politicians would do the right thing. So I think that you're on the right track. I want to ask you this on a scale of one to ten, one being easy, ten being really hard. How how has it been running for office? Uh, for me, it, it's a ten, uh, and I mean that's not even a hard question. This is yeah. this is the most challenging thing I've ever done, but it's in part, uh, Bert, because I am all in, a hundred percent. I am leaving nothing on the field. I, I woke up Saturday morning after a sound night's sleep, more tired, more exhausted than I ever remember being after waking up from a good night's sleep. I was just spent. I went for a run and it was barely a run. I came back, you know, <laughs> averaged a minute slower than my normal pace. I mean, it was, it was, I almost passed out coming home. It was just literally, I, I'm just spent, but, but, I tell you, this is not about me, right? For me, this is uh, about the causes I care about. It's about the people who are suffering uh, because of COVID. It's about the people who are uh, suffering because of poverty. It's about the threat to the people on this planet because of climate change. These, there are so many people suffering and at risk that I am willing to do the hard things uh, that it takes to run for office and and take it seriously. Yeah, no, and, and you know what? And it takes people like you who have, uh, you know, the fortitude to deal with that because we know that politics is not easy. We know that politics has a lot of red tape. It moves slowly. So here's my question. You know, I think most people are, step, are skeptical that Congress can do anything because there always seem to be bickering and gridlock and all this other stuff. What do you hope to do? What, why do you think that you being in Congress is going to be able to move the needle? Well, uh, that is a great, great question. And uh, I'll give you some specific examples. Uh, for years, I have been involved with Rotary and its effort to eradicate polio. And uh, every year, the federal government appropriates uh, money for the uh, fight against polio. And yet uh, I want to be there to make sure that continues to happen. And uh, I'll give you another example. During the uh, George W. Bush is actually more beloved in many parts of Africa than uh, Barack Obama. This is an interesting, uh, lesser known fact that I learned from visiting Africa several times. Uh, and the reason is uh, George W. Bush approved a, a program called PEPFAR that provides affordable AIDS medications uh, throughout Africa. And he's probably, with that, with that stroke of a pen, saved more lives uh, than maybe anyone in history, if you give him all the credit. Uh, but it's an amazing program. Uh, so so the, the federal government actually does have a huge impact on saving lives. Of course, we talk about poverty. Think about all the, all the issues with, with poverty and homelessness that the federal government plays a role in, right? All of our veterans 
that uh, have served in, in our armed forces and have come home challenged in one way or another and somehow for some reason end up on the streets. That's horrible. Yes. Uh, and the federal government has a duty to those people, especially. And the more the federal government does to take care of those folks who are homeless, the more local and state governments can do for the other folks who are homeless. Right. Uh, so uh, it's it's incredibly important, uh, you know, the the role of, of government in eradicating poverty and then improving health. I mean, it's huge, 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 huge. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, I'm glad that you brought up our, our uh, brave men and women. I, I think that they are sometimes, for lack of better terms, they're they're ignored and abused. I mean, it, you you typically have these very powerful political leaders who are making these, you know, these decisions, and the first place they like to cut is uh, the Veterans Affairs Administration, which is, I believe, the second largest. Uh, administration or department that we have. And like you, I feel that we have, owe a duty to these men and women who have really uh, risked, had put everything on the line. Some of them come back with physical as well as mental injuries. And as you said, they, you know, because of whatever issues, now they're living on the streets. And I just think that that is shameful that as an as Americans, we're not taking care of them better. Yeah, it, it is really shocking. It is really shocking that somehow we have uh, failed uh, these returning uh, soldiers and uh, airmen, et cetera, et cetera. It's just it's it's horrible. Yeah, and we've got to fix it. we've got to fix it. And and I realize that uh, people of good intentions have worked on this for a while, but uh, we have got to maintain this as a critical priority because. Uh, th these these folks who are homeless uh, are, are so incredibly vulnerable now to uh, COVID uh, because most of them have underlying health issues from associated with living on the street. Uh, they they also have uh, you know the, we owe them a special debt of gratitude. So you know it it is just that these issues it, it needs to be a priority. We need to continue to focus absolutely. All right, so let me ask you this. Let's say um, you get in Congress. What is the first thing that you and your team are going to focus on day one as a newly elected congressman? Golly. Um, one of the first things certainly will be uh, a an effort to address another area of poverty that affects lots of communities across the country. It's, it's a lot of small rural towns are being decimated uh, by our clean energy transition. And I'm excited about transitioning to clean energy, but we have in Utah, one of these communities that in Price and in the county called Carbon County here in Utah, uh, the economy was driven for generations by the mining of coal and the production of electricity from coal. Um, as, as the local utilities have switched to natural gas and renewable energy, that whole coal industry has really ground to a halt. In fact, in Carbon County, famous for uh, coal mining, there is zero coal mining today. No coal is coming out of Carbon County today. And so we're, these communities desperately need help. And I think 
in a similar way, I, I, this is, uh, you know, these folks have risked their lives for us. And you say, wait a minute, wait, what are you, what are you talking about? But there is a, a monument to the uh, coal miners who were killed in uh, mining accidents in sure. Harbin County in, in Price. And it is a moving thing to sit there and read the names in this little tiny town of all the people who've died as coal miners. When you figure that at its peak, there might have been 500 or 1,000 coal miners in this town at one time. Uh, many did it for decades. Uh, and there are probably 1,000 or 2,000 names of people who have died in the coal mines. And then you realize this is, a, is very dangerous work. It's very unpleasant being in the dark all the time. People go months or years without ever seeing the sunlight if they have if they work the day shift uh, in the mine. So it's just it's an incredibly challenging, incredibly taxing, incredibly risky, and also that we can flip the lights on uh, cheaply, affordably, and easily. So yeah. we owe them a similar debt of gratitude, and so we've got to put together a budget for helping these communities attract new jobs. Uh, to provide some support for uh, their basic government operations, uh, and, and including like, you know, putting in curb and gutter and, and building a city park, et cetera, these kinds of things, so that the, these communities uh, don't become just cesspools of disaster, right? We've got to make, make we've got to support these communities so that they, they can be vibrant, prosperous communities again in the future. Sure, sure. No, I, you know what? And again, I think that's uh, very, um, uh, what do you call it? Very important because you're right. You know, these coal miners uh, and some of these other workers that are blue collar, blue collar workers that are doing very dangerous, very difficult jobs. I mean, uh, coal mining is one, uh, you know, when you're out there, uh, uh, drilling for oil that came to mind as well but you're right as we transition to cleaner and cleaner fuels again it's it's like it was in the 80s when when uh, all those workers and uh, maybe it was in the 70s when all those workers were displaced in, in in detroit right i mean we again have to prepare them they have to have options because it's completely unfair that here's a company that probably made billions of dollars off of the backs of these workers and it's now time to help them, you know, transition, just like we're transitioning to cleaner fuels. Then, you know, how can these people transition with us? And, and so I think that's very nice of you that, that you're thinking about these, uh, the little guy, as we, as, as, yeah. <laughs> as we like to mention, because, you know, ultimately, I, I think, you know, there, there's an old adage that, you know, a civilization is measured by the way it takes care of its, you know, uh, least popular uh, or sometimes its weakest citizens, right? And people that really, they're not popular, they're not celebrities, and they never will be. And for somebody like yourself as a, con a congressional candidate to reach out and say, hey, let's lift these people up let's get them better education, let's get them different set of skills so they can continue to, uh, what do you call it, so take care of their family and still benefit their community. That's important. Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. And, and you know, these, these coal communities have 
some remarkable assets, right? Because of the the infrastructure for coal mining that is now oftentimes not being used. Uh, they have rail and other things so that they can be uh, an interesting place for putting heavy manufacturing jobs and doing, uh, you know, things like uh, producing uh, biodiesel and, uh, and those kinds of things that are new economy, clean energy kinds of things, but that employ people uh, and uh, leverage uh, that infrastructure that exists in coal country. Yeah, that, I think that's very smart. So you're talking about maybe going to one of these plants and repurposing the plants completely because you're right, they already have the infrastructure there. That is so freaking smart. And it's amazing that more and more of that isn't happening. Yeah. Well, it, it, part of the reason is that the people in uh, coal country, uh, many are a little bit distracted by a desire to increase coal production again. Sure. Uh, and so they're struggling with that. And of course, those that are, you know, a lot of my lefty friends are are uh, so focused on the clean energy transition that they're forgetting about these communities that frankly aren't very friendly to them. And we've got to take care. We just, yeah. we, we owe them. And there are these, there, there are huge opportunities there, right? Uh, and and now more than ever, right? This, this great uh, work from home experiment we've conducted over the last, 90 days proves that uh, you can work for Silicon Valley without working in Silicon Valley. Yes. And uh, we want to give the kids, uh, like you were saying, the educational opportunities and the, uh, and the, the possibility of having those kinds of great jobs, even if they stay in uh, their homes in Appalachia or rural Utah or wherever else they may have grown up in a coal community. Sure. Well, hey, Devin, let me ask you this. If, if somebody's listening to us right now and they want to contribute to your campaign or, or they want to find out more about you, what's the website that they can go to and find out more about you? It's devinthorpe.com, D-E-V-I-N-T-H-O-R-P-E.com. Dot com. Great. So we'll make sure and promote that. I'll also put a link in the show notes as well. All right. Let's talk about uh, global health, because I know this is one of your, your pet projects. Uh, you know, I, I, there, there's, a, there's a lot of different little rumors about Bill Gates, but I think you and I are big fans of Bill Gates. I think yeah. that, again, this is a gentleman who, you know, he could have done so many different things with his money, uh, but he wanted to eradicate. Uh, I think one of his first things was to eradicate diarrhea because people in these third world countries are dying from diarrhea. And was the other one polio? Yeah, he's been working on polio, malaria, diarrhea. He's been working on all kinds of things. There's a there's a group of diseases that are uh, uh, collectively known as neglected tropical diseases uh, that, in aggregate, kill almost as many people as malaria, but are you know individual diseases. Most of them are transmitted like malaria by mosquitoes. Uh, and yeah, so he's working on all these great public health issues. Uh, you know, it, it's, it is interesting, uh, you know, the conspiracy theories that suggest somehow he's profiting from giving all of his money away. It's absurd. I know. Uh, you know, I, I don't, you know, the, the it, it just doesn't even make sense. It just doesn't even make sense. Uh, there are, generally speaking, in, in global public health, there are no opportunities for profit or very, very few. The, the, the people in uh, the poorest countries in the world are not in a position to pay market prices 
for things like vaccines and bed nets, et cetera, et cetera. And so as a result, these have to be distributed even to governments oftentimes at, uh, at or below cost uh, and oftentimes for free. And so they're, they're literally being given away by organizations like Rotary and, and Bill Gates and the Gates Foundation and the WHO and UNICEF uh, and uh, CDC is usually involved in, in these things as well. And so there are these huge organizations. I say huge organizations. They're actually tiny organizations that, that help distribute money like uh, Gavi, which is the Global Alliance for Vaccine uh, and Immunization. Uh, and then there's uh, another one called uh, the Global Fund uh, that works on tuberculosis, AIDS, and malaria. Uh, and Bill Gates works with all of them. The Gates Foundation works with all of them to, to fund, help fund their needs. They all have independent fundraising. And the, the polio one is the Global Polio Eradication Initiative. And that has been... Uh, the Gates Foundation's top funding uh, use for more than a decade now because the polio is so near eradication that uh, the WHO declared a, health, a global health emergency around polio uh, in order to catalyze uh, additional funding and uh, a commitment from countries around the world to, to push this effort over the edge. And we were really, really close uh, in 2018. I think we had like 22 cases of polio in the whole world. Maybe it was 2017. Uh, and uh, the, the Taliban even was being rather cooperative in Afghanistan and Pakistan. I mean, it was, it was which amazing. Is, which, is, which is crazy because, you know, they're very difficult to deal with. Yes. ISIS actually had been uh, more cooperative earlier on. The Taliban was a little more stubborn, but we finally got some cooperation there. Things were going better. And then everything kind of broke down and uh, the Taliban started uh, um, assassinating the polio health workers again. And it, it's become a mess. Uh, so now there are a few hundred cases from last year. Um, and so it, it's really a challenge. Uh, yeah. With COVID, the, a lot of the vaccination programs in, for all diseases have been suspended. And uh, until and unless we get a vaccine for COVID, uh, you know, global health problems are going to get much, much worse. And, sure. and that's why the, the pandemic is just a paramount priority because you will have not only people yeah. dying from uh, COVID, but also from all of these other diseases, you know, measles, mumps, all, all this stuff is just going to start really going rampant. It's scary. Yeah. And, and, you know, one of the things that you brought up is the fact that, again, one of the rumors is that Bill Gates and some of these other agencies are making money or profits off the, uh, off their efforts. Right. And I always like to tell people if that was even remotely true, you would have big pharma down there way before bill gates ever showed up because they're in it they're they're like any other profit capitalistic company hey if i can expand my market to over there then let's do it yeah. and the fact that they're not doing it unless they again get political pressure right uh yeah. then they do get involved we've seen that uh, you know 
what was it, 20 years ago when AIDS was a big thing or yeah. 25 years yeah. ago when AIDS was a big thing. Uh, they got a lot of political pressure and they eventually started donating some medicine down there. But yeah. I don't think they would have acted otherwise. So uh, if you're one of those people who believes that somehow Bill Gates is going to make profit off of uh, these vaccines, you're you're wrong. Just again, yeah. do your do your his, do your work. I mean, uh, do your yeah. research, not your history. Yeah. Do your research. You know, uh, the uh, so, so bringing it back home a little bit. Um, again, here you are, you're, you're now elected to Congress. Uh, what are some of the things that you would like to see change when it comes to either, uh, you know, let's say local health or even global health? What would be some of your, you know, uh, things that you would like to attack immediately? Well, I think most people in America agree that our health care system remains kind of fouled up. Yes. Uh, it, it's um, interesting to me how much support I've had from docs. Uh, doctors are really excited. And I, of course, not all of them, but, but many have contributed to my campaign. And I find that so interesting uh, that they want to see a, a revolution in healthcare. Um, and I think it's because they see their patients, right? They see patients who come in and cannot afford treatment. Uh, even if they have health insurance. For instance, I have an Obamacare, an Affordable Care Act plan. I'm so grateful that I have it. Um, it's a good plan in many respects, but one, and that is I have a $12,000 deductible. So I opt out of all optional care. And this year I need a, a colonoscopy. And I'm weighing, I mean, this is a little bit of TMI, I apologize, but I'm weighing, well, can I really afford uh, a colonoscopy? And by the way, what is it going to cost? It's not even easy to get anybody to tell me what it will cost to get the colonoscopy that I got to pay for cash out of hand, right? Right. And, and I know there's there are people who are going to say, but colonoscopies are covered because they're preventative and that depends on your circum your individual circumstances. In my individual circumstance, it is not covered. Uh, and so, yeah, it, that is a, 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 a common problem. Now, I'm in the fortunate position to be able to say, do I want to spend this money I have in savings on this? Right. But there are a lot of people in this country who have a, the same kind of plan. And they don't have that option. Their option is bankruptcy. Right, they're not twelve grand. Who's got twelve grand, right? So uh, I, I'm I'm in a very fortunate position where I could choose to spend that money, um, but there are a lot of people in this country who have health care plans like mine that don't have the option to spend the money because they don't have it. Right, right, and, and especially on something that uh, isn't necessarily critical, right? I mean, it's one thing that if the doctor said, "Hey, Devin, if you don't get the procedure," you're going to die. Well, then of course, Hey, let me spend the 12 grand. Let's get it done. Yeah. But in this case, it's, it's, you know, it's one of those things that they want you to do to just check your overall health. And, and, um, so yeah, that makes spending 12 grand a little less desirable. Uh, you know, and, and, uh, especially since you're going to be, uh, what do you call it? They're going to give you a, uh, anesthesia. You're, you're going to be out. You're not going to even be able to see what they're watching. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I wouldn't even be able to enjoy it. And you won't even be able to enjoy it for a lack of better terms. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, that's right. Uh, yeah, you know what? And, and so uh, I guess you know 
interestingly enough, Congress is supposed to have a really good health plan. So that would be one of the benefits for you if you yeah. collect it. <laughs> yeah. But we need to fix it so that people don't need to run for Congress to get good health yeah. insurance. Yeah. No, no, absolutely. Look, <laughs> one of the problems that you're having is one of the things that people complain about is that you can't get a straight answer because depending on who your insurance is, depending if you're going to pay cash, depending on your circumstances, the prices go up or down. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and, and so in, in, I, I can't think of any other place, any other business that does the service and then tells you what it's going to cost you. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. you go in for the service and then when you come out at the other end, they're going to say, oh, by the way, your service is X amount of dollars. And that could be a huge surprise in a bad way or a, or, or a good way. But that's ridiculous. I mean, that right there shows you that that is completely fouled up. And I think President Trump has passed some kind of executive order or some kind of legislation. I think it was an executive order saying that that these hospitals have to have their price list available to consumers. Now, of course, the hospitals are fighting that. Uh, and so it hasn't happened yet. They, they, they've started some appeal because they have their complaint is uh, is that we have so many different prices for different insurance companies that it's going to cause a big upheaval. And therefore, we don't want to show what our prices are. That yeah. right there tells you how messed up it is. Yeah. CBS News has been working on this issue for a long time now, for a couple of years. And they've been gathering uh, price points and reference points for, uh, you know, what it costs to get X procedure done in X or Y circumstance and uh, posting that on, on their website so that people can see. Uh, and, you know, the lack of transparency, it's just nuts, you know. So you do see things like uh, colonoscopies costing between $300 and $3,000. There's a literal order of magnitude difference depending on where in the country you're doing it and, and what plan you're with, et cetera, et cetera. It's just nuts. Can you even imagine a car, you know, selling the same car in, in one town for $3,000 and in another town for $30,000? Uh, Doesn't make sense. Doesn't make sense. Yeah. And here's, here's, the, here's the part that astounds me. If I was an insurance carrier, I would also want to put an end to this. At least, at least for me, I can't think why an insurance company would want to have this ridiculous spread. Hey, over yeah. here in Texas, we pay $3,000 for this procedure. In Utah, we pay $5,000 for this procedure or a portion thereof. Hey, in California, that same procedure is $25,000. In New York, it's $50,000. As an insurance provider, I would want to say, no, I want the same price across the board. Yeah. I don't know why they're fighting it. And it highlights one of the issues that uh, you know runs parallel to this is uh, drug prices. And uh, right now, the federal government is blocked by federal law from uh, negotiating drug prices, even for Medicare. Uh, or Medicaid. And so you think about the federal government between those two programs and then add in the VA. Uh, so you've got really three massive healthcare programs run by the federal government and it can't negotiate drug prices. And can you imagine being a buyer of services in any other place where the buyer wouldn't negotiate the price uh, of a product that it's buying on massive scale? So it's buying 
it's it's just a price taker across the board on drugs uh, and can't negotiate. And, uh, you know, last year, uh, the House took up a bill that would have given the uh, federal government authorization to uh, identify the 250 drugs on which it spends the most money and then to choose among the 250, 50 drugs on which it could negotiate prices. So this was really quite limited. If you think about the thousands of drugs on the market, this was going to allow the federal government to negotiate prices on 50. Yeah. And uh, the congressman I'm running against voted against this bill, by the way. Sure. Uh, and uh, the, uh, of course, it, it passed the House and died in the Senate. Yeah, yeah, and I could see that. I mean, uh, this is this is the thing that that baffles all of us. Why would a good person not allow Medicaid to uh, get a better deal? And you know what what's so interesting is just it just so happens this is one of the areas that I kind of know a little bit of history about. And, and, and in fact, 60 Minutes did a report on this. And so it was another congressman whose wife was, you know, uh, saved. She had cancer. And, and, and so uh, he was the one who sponsored the bill to take away uh, Medicaid's ability, Medicare and Medicaid's ability to negotiate because they were paying wholesale prices. They passed this law. The congressman who sponsored the bill uh, was very transparent. He says, I'm not doing anything illegal. You may not like it, but this is the way the game is played. And so that's why I sponsored the bill. And, and, and yes, I, uh, he got a job for big pharma paying, I think he was earning $3 million a year. And and again, he was very transparent. He, He, you know, he just was blatantly transparent because he didn't break the law. He says, the law is broken. I took advantage of it. You may not like it, but that's the way it is. And it's, it's available on YouTube, uh, one of the 60 Minutes reports. It's very in-depth and very eye-opening as to the way our laws are passed. And, right. and so, right. you know, people wonder why some of these people, you know, go work for the Senate or go work for Congress and, and, and they have a job that's paying them roughly 200 grand a year, but within a few years they have millions of dollars uh, and, and, you know, they have a lavish lifestyle. Well, this is why. It's that you know, special interests come in and somehow these congressional leaders, these Senate leaders will all of a sudden get paid outrageous amount of money to, to go speak at an event. And, you know, it's just crazy. And I think this is one of the things that that hurts, you know, politicians. It hurts Congress. It hurts the Senate. It, it bothers the voters that somebody would vote against something that on the surface seems like it's a no-brainer. It's going to help us reduce our costs, but yet it happens time and time again. It's crazy. It is. It is. Uh, and we've got to improve our ethical standards. Uh, we just accept too much crap from Washington, and we've yeah. got to. We, we've just got to raise the standard of what we expect. And and part of that, I think, is going to require some election reform. We've got to get some or all of the money out of politics to act like uh, a politician isn't compromised by the process of fundraising is really absurd. Uh, It really is. Uh, As one who is doing it right now, I can tell you there's no way that you can remain perfectly uh, objective about your 
own conscience if you've got to go out and ask rich people for money. Sure. And mm -hmm. it, I mean, it, bottom line is, look, if, if I contribute, I don't know, if I contribute $1,000 to your campaign, that's a blip on the radar. I'm not expecting anything. But now I'm a big donor. Let's say that I help put together a, a fundraiser for you. I contribute, uh, you know, a lot of money. Plus I help other, I, I get other people to contribute to you. I'm going to expect something. And yeah. if you don't reciprocate, well, now I become your enemy. It's absolutely going to affect anybody in, in, in your position. And when I talk to corporations, they have an interesting, not corporations, because corporations can't donate directly to a campaign. So I talk to people, sure. corporations, of course. And, uh, but, you know, I was speaking to one large corporation person yesterday, and she said, well, our corporation won't uh, allow me to, you know, give any corporate money to you because you're a challenger and incumbents don't like it if we give to challengers and we need favors from the incumbents. So we have to give our money to them. Now, she said, there may be some employees who'd be willing to give you money. So feel free to call them. And I'm like, well, yeah, give me a list and I will. <laughs> um, it, it's crazy. Uh, and uh, without, I don't want to be too transparent, but it was in an industry where the Republicans uh, and I'm a Democrat. There are Republicans that generally oppose the agenda of this particular company right. and the Democrats generally support them. And yet they were going to give their money to the sitting Republican rather than to me just to curry favor. I mean, that I mean, it was transparent, unequivocal. Sure. And, and, you know, and, that's the kind of crap we got to get. We got to end that kind of crap. right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, and one of my favorite things that you hear uh, presidential candidates talk about is the uh, term limits. We need to have term limits. Of course, you know, you never hear about it once they're elected. Yeah. You know, I mean, I mean, right now, you know, President Trump could say, hey, we're going to set a term limit, whatever. Hey, after four terms, you're out. But of course, he's not going to do that. And neither is going to be, neither is the, you know, the next president. Because the minute they do that, they're going to have everybody upset with them, both in the Senate and in the Congress. <laughs> so you know, yeah, yeah. they got to protect themselves. They want to be elected for that second term, if possible. Uh, anyway, right. listen, we're out of time. DevonThorpe.com. If you want to reach out to Devin Thorpe and find out more about Devin Thorpe, go to DevonThorpe.com. I'm going to flash this up here. I'm going to put a link in the show notes as well. Devin Thorpe. I want to, you know, I wish you the most success. We need good people in politics. You're a good person. I appreciate you coming on and talking about your points and uh, hope to see you in Congress. Thanks, Bert. You're really kind. I really appreciate you taking the time. What a great host. Thank you very, very much. You're very welcome. We'll talk to everybody later. Okay. <laughs> I, I think we're done. Are we done? I don't know. We, haven't the yet. we still may be. <laughs> we'll have to just edit this we, out. We might be done. <laughs> we might be done. Either way. So, uh, like I said, if, if there's anything I can do to help you down there in Salt Lake, let me know. Thank uh, you very much. And uh, and then when you get to Congress, I'll look to get a congressional tour. Yes, please come by. All righty. Good talking with you. Talk to you later. Okay. Bye bye now. Bye bye.